0: So having that time to go up to tables and have a bit of a conversation tell my story tell where the produce is from people really enjoy that they like to know where everything is coming from and and I guess it's very rewarding to then see customers coming back
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast I'm Anthony Huckstep Finding your way and your voice in a new culture and country can have its challenges, but also its rewards. The colour and energy within our culinary landscape is a result of migration. But what does it take to make it down under? Lorena Corso is the head chef of Signorenzo. Lorena, how are you?
0: Hi Huck, I'm very good. How are you?
1: Good. You've scored yourself a new gig, and you're the only one in the kitchen as well, doing you're the boss, the chef, everything. Tell, tell us, tell us about the new role.
0: Yeah. So basically, back um, the last lockdown, uh, obviously I didn't have many hours at work like everybody, and me and Enzo, the owner of Signor Enzo in Brunswick, thought um, that we could kind of do a little collaboration during the weekends. Uh, so you will be selling, you know, takeaway drinks and I'll be doing a barbecue outside, so it was COVID friendly. Uh, so yeah, I came up with a small menu and did a barbecue, so I was selling like chicken and sausage and a veggie option uh, in a bread roll. Kind of like how you have it uh, bread roll with sausage in Sicily, kind of similar to that. And and it went really well that we basically did it every weekend uh, during the last lockdown. So I think I did about eight or nine weekends. Um, so yeah, that was a very good way for me to kind of see if I can actually uh, do my own thing. Um, because I've always worked for someone else. And I've only just started doing a couple of pop-ups here and there. Uh, but kind of seeing... More like on a weekend basis, I think he kind of maybe understood, okay, maybe I can do this. Uh, but anyway, after lockdown, I went back to Napier and then um, Enzo was, you know, asking me, why don't you just come in here, come and join us? Uh, you can just have the kitchen, just have the kitchen. You buy your own food, then you take your money from the food sales. And Because the thing was, he, he had a chef in there. But he was due to finish, Um, and he said, I'm not going to go, I'm trying to find someone else. Like, there's there's barely stuff around, like, you know, it's too stressful. He was trying to run the kitchen and the bar, uh, and it was a bit too much for him. So then he said, it just makes sense that you come here, because people know you, I love your food, it pairs really well with my drinks, so have a think about it and, you know, let me know. So then I thought about it for about six months. and <laughs> I just wanted to be sure <laughs> so then uh, so yeah and then in March uh, uh, yeah I left Nepia and I, I joined them and yeah basically I sort of um, brought my some of my equipment into the kitchen I mean most things were already there and I don't really need much um, I just have a you know an abachi grill, a fryer and two induction tops and that's That's, you know, I've designed a menu that it's kind of easy to handle if you're by yourself in the kitchen, Uh, but also that it's um, easy to pair with the drinks and the wine that Signorenzo has in the shop. And that's it. And I mean, we've done uh, done okay so far. Uh, When I joined back in March, it was still kind of summer. Um, So... You know, it was really busy because we have about 25 seats inside and, and another 25 outside. So it was kind of nice and, you know, still sunny days and warm nights. So it was pretty busy. Uh, and then it kind of, you know, when winter started, it was a little bit quieter. But now it seems that people kind of go out again and they came came around the idea of winter again. So they kind of, you know, so we, we've had some good weeks uh, recently, which is great and yeah so here I am just it's just me in the kitchen I don't actually don't need more people because it is a small place and sometimes it's actually easier to to be less people and kind of like communicate with the public if you're gonna be late for something or you know people understand it it's a nice community space Um, and yeah it's just me and someone else front of house and Vincenzo.
1: Your career in Australia has been about all sorts of cuisines, but not Italian, which is your heritage. Tell us about the menu that you're doing doing here.
0: Uh, So the menu is, I guess it's a wine bar kind of aperitivo bar menu. Um, You have your staples, salami, prosciutto, some nice bread, some anchovies, and a couple of cheeses. And I only uh, use products from Victoria. Um, so I kind of like, I guess I imagined to be back home, uh, having an aperitivo or a few glasses of wine in a wine bar and thinking what I would like to eat when I drink wine. Um, and that those are like, you know, the first things you want to order. It's always something salty and a little bit of bread and some cheeses. But then, um, obviously with my experience, I noticed that people, some people want to have like a proper meal, so then I thought I'd do some small dishes. everything is designed to be shared. Um, so I marinate my own sardines or mackerel or whatever fish it's at the market on a day. Uh, I do some pickled mussels, and I do this uh, typical Sicilian street food called Panelle, which is a chickpea fritters. So just like, you know, something fried um, with a side of um, goat cheese curd. Um, And then I do uh, the famous Sicilian sausage that I was doing during the barbecues, during the lockdown. I couldn't take that off the menu because so many people were asking for it. So then um, I decided to keep that on and I just serve it with some uh, bitter greens, uh, just like quickly blanched and then um, charcoaled. And, yeah, some nice salsa verde on top. And then I just kind of change the mains almost daily like, or every two days. I always have a pasta dish. So I have make my own pasta, either spaghetti or fettuccine or penne or tagliatelle, you know, whatever I kind of feel like in the morning, I guess. And and then, I like, the food is kind of, I guess it is Italian, Italian. Um, But I don't like to label food too much because then people have uh, certain expectations from you. I guess you do see uh, a Mediterranean kind of theme throughout the menu. Uh, Some dishes are Sicilian or Sicilian-inspired or simply inspired from my time in Sicily and even my time across restaurants. I like to kind of take inspirations from every restaurant that I've been and then include that in my menu. Um, So yeah, that's, that's how it is for now
1: I want to explore the restaurants that you have worked at in Australia But take us back to Sicily and when you were young What sort of role did food play in your family?
0: So food, like many Sicilian homes, has a very primary It's a primary role From the moment you wake up, you receive a call from your auntie And we don't really ask how are you We just ask what do you want for dinner? (laughs) <laughs> that's kind of like how are you but in Sicilian terms um, it's the first thought that you have when you wake up in the morning oh what am I going to have for lunch or oh, what am I going to have for dinner or oh, maybe I can do this uh, so it's I guess because there's markets everywhere and there's food vendors everywhere so even when you walk around you can like smell food all the time and it's kind of it's always in your mind and it's one of those things that bring people together like I didn't grow up rich or neither poor, but like we were you know, just about okay as a family. and I guess food was always on the table. So that was something that I was looking forward um, every day, every week. We'll always have a Sunday lunch you know with um, my auntie, my, grand, my grandmother, grandfather you know, and everyone else. So, so it'll always be between 10 to 15 people at the table on Sundays. Uh, which, you know, it was a nice day, no one was working on that day and, you know, you could eat nice food and have a nice afternoon with your family and and then off you go for the rest of the week. Um, I wasn't particularly um, in love with food when I was younger. Um, I actually had a very simple palate. I would just have plain pasta Or just bread and olive oil and fruits. Um, I wasn't very adventurous, actually. I don't know why. Um, I, you know, I'm not proud of that moment for sure because you know, my mother had to kind of cook not just for everyone but for me, like on a separate stove. So, Um, and then my sister was vegetarian, so that was another kind of (laughs) layer on top. Um, But so yeah, I don't know why I didn't. Like food very much. Like, I liked, but the one thing I liked was a steak, like a minute steak, like thinly sliced, uh, cooked on charcoal. That was something that I really liked, and I liked my auntie's cooking very much. So, if she was to cook something on charcoal, uh, either a, a little steak or some chicken or fish or veggies, I would love that. So, anything that it had to do with charcoal cooking, I was happy with. Um, And I guess that's why I'm so obsessed with it now, because it's, I guess that was, sorry, that was the first um, adventurous food for me. Anything cooked on charcoal, I'll eat it. I was happy with, Um, and yeah. And then uh, I guess I didn't really get into food until my early 20s when I moved to the UK at the age of 21. And obviously, I was living with other people, I had to cook my own food, and I started to explore, you know, in my own ways, and go to restaurants in the UK, which are different from restaurants in Sicily. There's a lot of, um, the Indian cuisine is, you know, very popular and very good as well. And I really, really enjoyed eating Indian or Nepalese uh, or Bangladeshi and um, after years of working as a bartender and waitress, I decided that I wanted to give it a go and work in the kitchen. Um, so yeah, I asked around and my friend gave me this job at an Indian restaurant in uh, Brighton in the UK. Um, yeah, I just sort of, I thought if I wanna learn something, I might as well do something that is completely different to you know what I'm used to. And so, yeah, I cooked Indian food for the first year. I enjoyed it so much, like discovering all the spices and the flavors and, and I guess because there's a lot of like deep fry food in Indian cuisine, all the snacks. I think I really liked that because I love deep fry food. <laughs> um, so I really liked that. And then I learned how to make ice cream as well from, from scratch. Uh, we were using Italian products to make ice cream so it was basically an Italian ice cream, but all the different flavors, you know, kind of pair to Indian cuisine, like rose and rose petals and dates and pistachio and saffron and, um, yeah. So it, that was great, and I guess I thought to myself, if I enjoy this for a year, then I'm gonna keep going and and see if I can make this into an actual career. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot, and I and I guess I started when I was 23. So I thought it was a little bit too late to the game, like compared to my colleagues that were kind of younger. Or um, So I just kind of tried to move from one place to another to learn as much as I could in a short time. So I started a restaurant, then I moved on to working at festivals, and then I worked in cafes, uh, and then I moved to pubs, and then again restaurants. I sort of like moved around a little bit just to kind of, understand for myself what I want, like what I like the most, what I, you know, can see myself maybe later on, have my own thing or start my own thing. Uh, and I guess, yeah, now I'm, I'm in a wine bar, which is, you know, like a small restaurant, but not as full on as a restaurant. And it's it's got some cafe vibes if you open for lunch, but it's not, you know, cafe food so you can be a little bit adventurous, but not too. It's not too stressful, and it's it's casual, casual dining, which I guess is my, my favorite way of eating food.
1: What led to the move to Australia?
0: Uh, so one of my uh, head chefs, mentor, is um, British, but he lived in Australia for about five years, and when I worked with him, he just couldn't stop talking about Australia. Like he was so um, gutted that he had to leave because of the visa run out. Um, And he was telling me, oh, you should go. I think you really like it down there. Um, So then I thought, you know what? I actually, I've always wanted to go to Australia, but it's so far away. And I don't really want to go by myself. because I made my first move by myself. So it's kind of, you know, if you need to do it all over again and you need to start over by yourself again, it's kind of daunting. And so then I pitched the idea to my girlfriend and I said, would you like to go to Australia? It doesn't have to be now, but basically when I'm, when I turn 30, that's kind of the last year where we can actually go. Um, If I wanted to get the uh, working only the visa. So then we thought about it In the meantime, we moved from Brighton to London. Um, We spent a few years there because she got a really good job up in London. So it was a good opportunity for me to finally make that move to London that I've been avoiding for years. And I threw myself into the culinary industry in uh, London, which is, I'm sure you've heard, is very challenging. and I mean I did enjoy it. I was working way too much, that's for sure, but I guess because I had that goal of I'll move to Australia soon, I didn't mind doing the 60 to 70 hours a week. Um, so I basically tried to learn more and improve my skills and made connections. Uh, there's a lot of people from Australia that live in London, especially in the area where I was living in East London and so then i I was kind of like half ready to move, and it just made sense i don't know after i didn't I didn't see myself being in London for too long, and I guess if I wanted to progress in my career and explore more um they made the move to Australia just made sense, and my girlfriend was very excited about it, and then we started looking for jobs she she even got offered jobs while she was still in london, so I don't know, it was kind of, we had to come here. And then, so we came to Melbourne. I thought we start with Melbourne, that is kind of, uh, well, they call it like the most European city in Australia. And I mean, we we just fell in love with it, you know? It's the people, the culture. Um, It's easy to get to other cities in Australia from Melbourne. Um, It is not as expensive as London. So that was a a big key factor for me as well. I didn't want to kind of move to Australia and then pay the same rent that I was paying in London. That just didn't sit well with me. Um, So, yeah, we made friends uh, very quickly. And then after the first year, we kind of, we had to make a decision if we wanted to stay in Australia or move back. Um, So then we applied for visas And after a few years of, you know, sacrifice of studying and spending a lot of money, we finally got our PR, uh, which is great. I, you know, I consider myself lucky to be able to get uh, the PR within four years of being in Australia. I I know that it's so hard for most people to achieve that. Um, So then I used the opportunity and I threw myself into it, got the PR, and here we are now. Now we, you know, not too far away from actually uh, be able to apply for citizenship. And yeah, I mean, we're not, we, we, you know, we love it here. Like we have friends, really good friends. And yes, we are really far away from home. But I think you, you know, when you start traveling and you find a, a place that you really, really like, I think it would be silly to then go back. Um, so we decided to stay stay here and, and see how we go. And then, um, yeah, try to go to Europe when we can to visit our families. And that's it. Here we are.
1: What did you think of the food scene in Melbourne when you arrived?
0: Um, I, I really enjoy it. I mean, I like the fact that there is more um, Southeast Asian here than it was in London. Uh, so I kind of... Throw uh, myself into eating more Chinese, Vietnamese, Laotian, like this Thai, even Thai food is so much better. Like the ingredients used, and just I don't know, I remember in London going to Chinese restaurants and never really enjoyed it as much as I know I could. But yeah, when I came to Melbourne, I mean, every time, most of the times when I go out for a meal, it's Southeast Asian food. Um, I really enjoy it. So that that's something. Let's it, it's a good it's good to be able to eat um, such diverse cuisine. Um, but also just the the mix of cultures, you know, the Italian influence, the Greek influence, and there's a lot of really good Turkish restaurants too. So I feel like I'm I've got the best of both of both worlds. Like what you find in the UK. There's a lot of Indian cuisine, but then I'm not too far from Italy in the UK, so it's easy to go home and eat Italian food. But here, I can kind of just experience that by going to different restaurants because there is great Southeast Asian cuisine, Indian, Italian, Spanish. There's anything you want, it's on your doorstep. So i really like that, how easy it is to to, to have that in Melbourne, yeah
1: you worked at some pretty incredible restaurants like anchovy Estelle and Napier Quarter. Well, what's been the real influences on you during your time in Australia?
0: Oh, well, I guess um, I've, I've had some really good experiences in all of these places you mentioned. Uh, I've worked with some incredible people, um, hardworking people. Um, they kind of taught me a lot how, you know, how it is to be a chef in Australia, the differences that I found uh, compared to London or the UK in general. You know, the, the fact that Australia is really trying to reduce the hours for, for chefs and hospitality workers and the wages are way better than in the UK. Uh, so I like that people kind of stand up for themselves and say, I, I, I'm not gonna do 70 hours a week. You know, it's just, it's insane. I don't want to burn out by the age of 35 for working hospitality. So I think the approach that people have here, it's a lot healthier uh, than I guess other parts of the world. And it kind of makes you fall in love with, you know, being in hospitality again. Um, And I've had good experiences in all places. Um, I was first at Estelle. Really nice team, Um, a lot of, you know, I kind of like got to know more Australian ingredients and all the different um, Australian uh, produce from the sea, like, you know, all the fish names and uh, so much, like the seafood, it's got such a big role here, which I love. And then when I moved to anchovy, I obviously had the chance to cook Southeast Asian, which is another love of mine and, you know, explore that side of uh, side of the world with tea. You know, it was very um, inspiring. And also kind of because it's, you know, I'm sure it's a small venue, you get to really see other sides of it, like, you know, how to budget your weekly expenses when you need to do your ordering and how to kind of, you know... Um, order for a four week four day week uh, venue use everything fresh and then trying to plan a menu that you want to run out of everything by Saturday night because then you're going to be closed for three days and that's what I do now I you know we only open from Wednesday to Saturday so I'm trying to kind of always have the freshest ingredients but then you don't want to order too much that you're going to have leftovers and leftovers are basically wastage so you don't want that And then um, during COVID um, when I left, I left anchovies because obviously the hours were reduced and you know, it was completely understandable that they had to let me go. So I applied to work at Napier Quarter, uh, which was one of my favorite, it still is um, wine bar in Melbourne. I used to live not far from that. And you know, I got to kind of work with primarily Victorian ingredients um, see what it's like to have a small wine bar in a you know, neighbourhood. It's all that community, artisanal, um, fresh ingredients that I really wanted to kind of put my hands on and really understand if the wine bar could be my place. And I guess uh, I learned so much. I had, like, you can do so much from a small kitchen, and that's for sure. Napier is the proof of that and then I guess I took that before I left Nepio I took that kind of experience and put it into my kitchen now. Um, So like time management, produce management, uh, try not to um, buy, you know order too much, not trying to still keep uh, I guess a smallish menu um, but still be able to kind of um, please uh, the customers when they come in because not everybody like salami and prosciutto people want to come in and have a, a nice plate of pasta and a glass of wine so yeah i guess every place it taught me something and and I, that's what i am now so i'm um ever so grateful for you know all the uh, mentors and head chefs that i worked before and yeah i'm hoping to grow i guess and just keep going
1: You're championing Victorian producers on the menu. Do you have any stories of the connections that you've fostered with producers?
0: Oh, yeah. Um, So I've met lots of people through, obviously, hospitality is a world within. So you meet producers because when you start ordering produce from Victoria, then you end up kind of buying directly from the farm. Um, So obviously, through working in previous places, I kind of kept some Contacts, um, but also like through friends, they've introduced me to other farmers. It's always like a word of mouth, and then I met uh, Jo Corrigan from Mushroom Anonymous through friends, and I did a couple of events with her using her produce, and then another friend of mine uh, used to work at Joe's Market Garden in Coburg. It's kind of like the um, it's like series, but in Coburg. And I remember there was a guy there, named um, Ben, that he was kind of the farmer of the market. And then we kept in touch, and now he's got his own farm. Um, he operates uh, out of um, Madeleine's Eggs, which is an organic farm already. So he started planting produce there last year. And now he's selling produce. It's a very small list of produce that he's got. But every single thing is so good. Like it's so tasty. It's organic. And it's, you know, very close. It's only up in Romsey. Or oh, even before Romsey. I think it's 45 minutes from here. Um And I guess I like the fact that I can... Use the producer is the freshest, there's not many in between. I can directly buy from them, I can support them because they do have also small businesses. But and yes, you do pay a little bit more, but the produce is so good. Like sometimes, let's say you buy carrots, those carrots will be perfect for like a month in your fridge, which is you know, when you go to supermarkets and you buy carrots after a week, they you know they go off like it's just not. So that's really important for me, and and then I'll do i do the same for fish. Uh, I buy produce from uh, two hands. So two hands is basically um, a couple of guys that they work directly with f- fish farmers, <clears throat> but also uh, when when uh, fishermen go out fishing and they target a specific uh, species, let's say uh, I don't know whiting. There's a lot of bycatch in there. So there's a lot of fish that um, they don't necessarily want to use. So they work with those farmers and they say, okay, we have some extra fish. Like we have Tommy Ruff, we have some calamari and we have uh, King Jog Whiting or we've got some flounders. Do you want them? So they use the bycatch and they try to sell that to restaurants instead of kind of going to waste or you know, end up in landfill. Yeah, because sometimes it's hard to sell. If you don't have enough of something, restaurants might not necessarily order it. So I guess for them, working with smaller restaurants is easier. So uh, they usually send me a text on Sundays. They say, okay, the fishing conditions are good. We're going to go out fishing, uh, submit your wish list here. And then we'll get in touch. So I'll say, okay, I would like to get some calamari and maybe flounder. Let me know if you get any of those. And then on Tuesday, you see another message of obviously how the fishing went. So we got some good calamaris, but they're like all different sizes. Is that okay with you? Yeah, no problem. So I kind of, you know, designed my menu around that too. And I guess it's good for me to be closed from Sunday to Tuesday because I have that time frame to see what fish they catch and if I can use it and how I'm going to do it on the menu. So then I changed the mains on the menu almost weekly because of that.
1: What's it like moving to a new country and, and building a career in it?
0: Um, I mean, it does have its challenges. Um, I guess when I moved to the UK, uh, my English wasn't great, but I could kind of communicate. So that was probably the first hurdle that I had, but I've always been pretty outgoing and friendly. And I guess if people see that, it doesn't really matter if your English is not perfect, like you will make friends. And once you you establish, for me anyway, once I've established friendships, then it's become a lot easier to deal with anything else. Um, And I guess it was pretty easy to make friends in Melbourne like it was in the UK, because I didn't go to London straight away, I went to Brighton. So people are a little bit more chilled out and the pace of life is not as hectic as London. Um, So yeah, once you make friends, then everything else it's easier, but also like um, be able to see these friends. For me, it's very important to see my friends almost on a weekly basis uh, because of my work I work so much, I don't really see anyone for like four or five days a week. It's, you know, during my days off, I I do want to spend time with friends and my partner. Like that's, it's very important for me. So I guess when I moved to Melbourne, I realized I had more time for my social life than I had before. And that was definitely a bonus. And I guess that's why I like it here so much, because work-life balance is, you know, it's great. Um, So, yeah, friendship is definitely important.
1: You found yourself in a role where you can really express yourself on the plate, but what do you love about what you do?
0: Uh, What I love, I guess, is having that freedom to choose what you want to cook on the day, uh, but also have the time to, um, you know, I, I often run the food to the tables and and I, I like to have a little bit of a conversation uh, with our guests because what's important is also make them happy and if there's something that they don't necessarily enjoy then I want to hear it because I want to make sure they come back next week and that I'll have something on the menu for them. Um, so having that time to go up to tables and have a bit of a conversation tell my story, tell where the is from People really enjoy that. They like to know where everything is coming from. And and I guess it's very rewarding to then see customers coming back almost weekly to try your food. And I guess that's another encouragement for me to keep changing the menu so then they don't, you know, when they come back, they're not necessarily gonna have the same um, food.
1: Well, congrats on what you're doing there and it's an absolute honor to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Um, Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon.
0: Thank you so much, Huckstep. Thank you for the opportunity. You have a nice day.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep.